Uh, Let's pray together. Father God, thanks that your word speaks to all of our circumstances. Lord, we pray that you might help us to listen today, uh, not just be wowed by the strange details of this story, but understand what your message is for our lives. Enable me to speak words that are true and helpful. Lord, we pray by your spirit that you'd enable that to happen and all of us to be changed by what we hear and to respond in a way that pleases you. So God, please be at work in our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, I wonder how you feel about those in authority over you. I think most of us are okay. We feel okay as long as they make decisions that we agree with. I think it's hard to submit to or respect leaders that we don't think are worthy of our respect. I don't know what you think about Donald Trump or what you thought about him. He wasn't even our president, but everyone seemed to have an opinion. And many people in the US and here, they were happy to tear him down online and to their friends. Some, I read even this week, some even called him a screaming carrot demon. Or worse, uh, in Victoria, the lockdowns that Daniel Andrews and his government brought in last year that have continued uh, have led to much disrespectful language on Facebook, Twitter and everywhere. I haven't agreed with all uh, Daniel Andrews' decisions and I know that many have been hurt and harmed in different ways. But, but saying dictator Dan is trying to build a COVID gulag or hashtag Dan lied, people died, or the other explicit language that people use about him, it it oozes disrespect. So when the Bible tells us that God puts people in their positions of authority, maybe it should make us pause before we speak. For maybe we first need to turn from our pride and acknowledge that God rules. Daniel chapter 4 is the last chapter in the book that features Nebuchadnezzar. And right from chapter 1, God has been graciously seeking to educate this king of the Babylonian Empire about 600 BC, who I'll call Nebuchadnezzar, I'll call him Neb. Uh, God is seeking to educate him about who God is. In chapter 2, Neb learnt that it's the God of Daniel, the God of heaven, who is all-wise and who reveals mysteries. In chapter 3, Neb was meant to learn that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, three Jewish men, was able to rescue them from his power. Nebuchadnezzar then praised the Most High God, at least with his words. And yet he still hadn't accepted that God really is sovereign. He rules over him. And so his education continues here. Do you remember right back at the start, chapter 1, Neb was trying to educate the youth And now he completes his education. He gets out of school. And maybe if you're in year 12, you're trying to do that too. Get out of school this year. Well, the first verse of chapter 4 reveals that the whole chapter is a confession, a testimony by Nebuchadnezzar in the form of an open letter, a letter that's addressed to all people everywhere. He writes to all humanity through God, even to us of his humbling experience before the Most High God who reigns, who is mighty, and whose kingdom is going to last forever. And we'll come back to that at the end. But how does Neb get to this point that we hear at the beginning? How does he get there? My sermon today will have four points, and the first is about the dream. 
When Neb was at ease and flourishing, verse 4, just when all was going well, he has this dream that makes him afraid. And from if you read chapter 2, you'd remember who gave him the dream. It is the Lord God. And so who knows why Neb asks the wise men of Babylon first what the dream means and not Daniel who'd helped him in chapter 2? And either because God kept those wise men from knowing the truth or they're too scared to tell Neb the bad news, they say that they don't know what the dream means. And so Neb calls for Daniel to tell, and he tells Daniel his dream. If you were to go later, read from Ezekiel chapter 31, you'd also see their empires, kingdoms, compared with great trees. And Nebuchadnezzar here, verse 11, he at the, he, the top of this huge, strong tree, it reaches to the sky. Now, in the original language, the word for sky is also the word for heaven. And maybe that's a hint right at the start of the story that maybe this man's pride also reaches up to the sky or heaven. It's also reminiscent of the Tower of Babel and what was going on there in the book of Genesis. So the tree gives protection and provision for these animals and birds, which represent people. And all seems well until a messenger from heaven announces that the tree is about to be cut down, leaving only a stump, verse 15, that's bound in iron. And so the image is of being demolished and restrained. And yet the stump being left suggests that there is hope, a hope of regeneration. Still, he will be soaked in the rain and be outside with the plants and animals. And and worse than that, as we heard in the kids' talk, his mind will become that of an animal, a beast. What a dream, what a story. But the punchline is in verse 17. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. What's the interpretation of the dream? What does it mean? Notice first in verse 19, Daniel, though, he's he's stunned, he's alarmed when he thinks about what the dream means because he knows what it means. And then Daniel says that he wishes the dream could be about the king's enemies, not him. I think that's amazing. I mean, maybe it's safe protocol and Daniel's being diplomatic, preparing the king for bad news, but... I think more so it could be heartfelt. He actually really cares about the king. And let's not fail to notice this. When Daniel has the chance to speak truth to power, to the kingdom, to the king rather, to the king of the Babylonian empire, more than respect, there's concern, there's care. Daniel isn't happy about his soon-to-be downfall. He doesn't wish for Nebuchadnezzar to be removed. It's like he wishes him well and he seeks his good. To this king who defeated Israel and destroyed the Jerusalem temple, who'd carried Daniel and his friends and thousands of Jews off into slavery in a foreign land, to this pagan king who worships false gods, who quickly loses his temper, who commanded people to worship an idol and who sought to burn his three friends to death, So this man, Daniel, shows respect. More than respect, care. Could we even say a love for his enemy? I wonder if that's true of us. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for 
an evil persecuting dictator to be removed, whether that's a Khamenei or Rouhani of Iran or a Kim Jong-un of North Korea. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for a change of government in Australia or anywhere, but do you seek and, and pray for their good? We'll come back to this. What does the dream mean? Verse 20, 21. If you were to read verse 20 again, uh, it's really at the end of a long sentence that Daniel finally says, that tree is you, your majesty. The king, you king, you will have no shelter. You'll live among the, the beasts of the earth. Verse 23, you will eat grass like a cow for seven periods of time. Sadly, we're never told how long the seven periods is, whether it was months or years, we don't know. But the fate of the one who wants to be like a God or who thinks he is God, his fate is to become less than a man, less than a human being. Again, the point is this will happen until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. Daniel then boldly speaks truth and a call to Change. He calls the king to change in verse 27. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what's right and from your injustices, showing mercy to the needy and perhaps there'll be an extension to your prosperity. So just like you break off a piece of Kit Kat from the rest of the chocolate, Daniel is calling Neb to break away from his sins, to repent of his sins. And what we learn here is a ruler of government ought to do what is right and display mercy and kindness, not bring oppression and terror. So Neb has had a scary dream. It's about him and his downfall, his demise. But will he listen? Will he learn? Will he respond rightly and be restored to his throne? Well, what happens what will happen is that the God-given dream will be fulfilled. A year later, verse 29, Neb's on the roof of his palace admiring what he thought were his achievements. Now, being on the roof uh, was a place of danger for kings. David came to know that. Remember, that's where King David is on the roof, and that's where he saw Bathsheba, who he would commit adultery with. Neb boastfully says, is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? And before he's finished speaking, this voice from heaven booms with God's judgment. You've lost your kingdom. You will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the most highest ruler over the kingdoms, human kingdoms, he gives, them, he gives them to anyone he wants. And it's fulfilled, isn't it? Look down verse 33. He's driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle. His body's drenched with the dew, the rain of the sky, until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. I was reminded this week that there is a mental illness called boanthropy, where a person believes they are a cow. I think that youth had fun drawing what Nebuchadnezzar may have looked like here. Kids, if you're here or watching at home, maybe you could draw a picture of Nebuchadnezzar as a cow or ox. Here's another artist's attempt 
of Nebuchadnezzar at this point. I mean, if you lived out in the wilds for a long time, your hair would grow long. Your nails would grow long. But whether or not God gave him a severe case of boanthropy, the point is theological, not medical. You see, Neb thought he was a god. So God made him become a beast to learn that he's only a man, only human. The great and powerful Nebuchadnezzar is bowed down, low, delusional. You see, the proud one has been humbled by the true God. Our final and main point is learn. What does Neb learn and what are we to learn from this? I think we read some wonderful words in verse 34. At the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me and then I praised the Most High. The man who thinks he's a god must become a beast to learn he's only a man. But that was God's mercy, this happening, wasn't it? God's kindness is giving him another chance to learn who he truly is and who who God truly is. And after being humbled to a beastly state, Nebuchadnezzar now looks to God, up to heaven. He recognises his dependence on God. He turns to God. His looking to God, I believe, is also an act of repentance and faith. Neb was full of his own importance before, thinking the world revolved around him. And now faith has led to the return of his reason. And we need to do this too. We need to turn away from boasting and selfish pride and look to God, humbly turn to him in repentance and faith. We we and all people need to turn to the Lord who is the source of our life, our sanity, our mental capacity. Nebuchadnezzar here has gained a fear of the Lord and awe-filled trust in and submission to the Lord God. Because of God's mercy, he's experienced a change of heart. The penny has dropped. He's graduated from school. Will we see Neb in heaven? I think maybe. After his sanity is returned, what's his response? Verse 34, it's to praise the Most High God, to honour and glorify the God who lives forever, who rules forever and who rules over everyone. He rightly declares that God can do what he wants and he decides what will happen. And then in verse 36, Neb's rule and position and glory are returned to him, but now he knows it's come from the Lord. After his kingdom is returned to him, in verse 37, he again wants to praise the king of heaven who always does right. And in those final words of the story, he's able to humble those who walk in pride. And that was his experience, wasn't it? And it's true. So what should we learn from Nebuchadnezzar's experience and testimony? Four things I'd like to suggest. And the first is that God rules. Do you agree with verse 34 that God will rule and have dominion forever? That God can and do as he wants, verse 35. That as we heard repeated over and over, verse 17, verse 25, verse 32, God rules over human kingdoms and he gives the power over those to anyone he wants. 
And as Christians, I think we might theoretically, uh, we intellectually agree with this, but, but that actually means that all rulers at all times have been appointed by God. Even Khamenei and Rouhani over Iran. Even Kim Jong-un over North Korea. Even the persecuting military of Myanmar at the moment. Trump and then Biden over the United States. In Australia, previously, the elders of the indigenous peoples. And now it's Queen Elizabeth II and Scott Morrison. It's Daniel Andrews over Victoria. It's your local members of parliament over you, wherever you live. As good or as horrible as that is. And this is exactly what the New Testament says in Romans chapter 13. And the Apostle Paul writes these words. Please remember this. He writes what we're about to read. When a pagan and persecuting Roman emperor was ruling and ruling over the land of Israel and the people of Israel. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there's no authority except from God and authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. So God institutes, he puts in place all those in authority and he can achieve his good purposes even through those who do evil. That evil which they themselves are responsible for. So we're called here to believe that God rules over everyone and everything and forever. Do you believe that? Second thing to learn is to respect those authorities and those in authority. Romans chapter 7, Paul goes on to say, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honour to those you owe honour. We saw Daniel giving honour and respect to the king over him, and we are to give honour and respect to those who are, have positions of authority over us. Now, authorities ought to maintain peace and order and punish wrongdoers. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 22, we read that they ought to do what is right and even care for the poor and needy. This COVID pandemic has led many in our country to a love-hate response to our government's decisions. So many views in Victoria about the lockdowns, so much hostility from people, even online. As I mentioned earlier, I certainly haven't agreed with all of Premier Andrew's decisions, but he has sought to save people's lives, which is a good thing. And yet the impact on people's financial stability, their mental health, it's been devastating for many. But even where we disagree with or are convinced that a, a ruler is wrong, Romans chapter 13 says, we just read, that we still need to submit to and respect them. And unless we are called to sin, as happened in chapter 3 last week, unless that is the case, then we must obey. And so I ask, how are you going at obeying the restrictions at the moment? 
Are you willing to obey God in Romans 13 and submit and show respect? I mean, we can still speak to, write to our MPs and, and ask them to do what is right. And yet when you're convinced the government's decisions are not right, will you still carefully control what you do and say to others or online? I ask, are your words spoken or written to or about the government, are they gracious and seasoned with salt? Does humility or pride come through in what you say even when you're wanting things to change? And will you pray? Pray for those ruling over you, over you as 1 Timothy 2 commands us to do. Pray for those who rule over us for, for their good. So please do pray that MPs like Daniel Andrews and others will turn from pride and humbly turn to the Lord and do right or keep doing right. Third thing for us to learn is that we should also turn from pride. Remember Nebuchadnezzar became like an animal until he acknowledged the most high is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And verse 37, God is able to humble those who walk in pride. And Neb came to know that. Do you know that? Or do you need God to teach you and bring you low to give you humility? I mean, none of us rule over an empire or a city or even live in a palace that I know of. But do you look over your home, your kitchen, your family, your achievements, your business and say, is this not the great thing that I have built by my work, my skill, my efforts? Are you taking pride in something that you've done and forgotten that the Lord gave you that good thing and the strength and the skills and the life and the breath to be able to achieve it? In John Kelvin's words, he says, when God gives us a certain level of dignity, power and wealth, we forget ourselves to be men and women and we snatch away God's honour from him and desire to substitute ourselves for him. Or maybe you're proudly saying or thinking, God, I may not rule anyone or anything else, but I rule my life and I don't want you telling me how to live it. Maybe you're a child, maybe you're a teenager and you're thinking, I don't want to submit to God and do what he says. I don't want to live with Jesus as my Lord Lord over my life and every part of it, doing everything that his word says. I want to live my life, my way. Thank you very much. If that's you, then, then be warned. God is able, we just read, to humble those who walk in pride. And pride comes before a fall. So know that one day you will stand before the judgment seat of God and the Lord Jesus will judge you. 
In John chapter 5, Jesus says that God the Father has granted him, Jesus, the right to pass judgment because he's the Son of Man. He says, do not be amazed at this. A time is coming when all who are in their graves, who've died, will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who've done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. It's important to know earlier that in chapter 3, John 3, verse 18, Jesus had said, everyone who believes in him will not be condemned. So we're not actually saved by our good works. Rather, our good works flow from our faith and trust. So our trust in Jesus will show itself in doing good things, good deeds. Our trust will show itself in our obedience to God. So what are you going to do when your time has come and your life is done and there's nothing left to stand on? What will you have to say at the judgment throne? I already know. The only thing that I can say is that I trust in Jesus. He's my great deliverer, my strong defender. He's the son of God. I trust in Jesus, blessed redeemer, my Lord forever, the holy one. You see, Jesus is not only the Lord and the judge, he's also the saviour, the one that we have the chance now today to turn to and trust him if you haven't already. And if we trust in him who died in our place, if we trust in him, then our sins get forgiven and all our pride, proud thoughts, they all get forgiven and washed away too. Jesus delivers us. And so if if you've not done that yet, I ask you to trust in him. Our fourth and final thing for us to learn is is to praise God in response. This chapter is the longest portion of writing by a non-Israelite in the Old Testament, even though Daniel records here Nebuchadnezzar's words. Contains Neb's words, who was possibly a believer at the end of his life, but notice that it's sandwiched in praise. It begins and ends with praise. He's saying in verse 2 and 3, God is great, he will rule forever, and Neb wants everyone from every nation and language to know that. He praises God for his total sovereignty over all things, all people, and even for humbling him as he was brought as low as a beast. Interestingly, when we come to chapter 7, we'll see that these ungodly authorities, they're, they're pictured as beasts. And it's actually, these, it's actually a man, the son of man, who we come to know as Jesus. It's actually Jesus who is given all authority and who has everlasting dominion. And so please ask yourself, if God does rule, if Jesus does rule, doesn't he deserve our praise, your praise, and mine. If you know that you were humbled under the weight of your sin, and if you know that you've come to Jesus for life and forgiveness, a place in God's eternal kingdom, all your pride and selfishness has been forgiven, if you know that, then we will know that he deserves our praise. And does that praise come out in in your prayers? Or do you only always ask for things? 
Do you, do you praise God before others like Nebuchadnezzar does here? Or, or are we too scared, too shy? We might praise other things in life, but maybe not God. You see, God has saved us, brothers and sisters. Peter says that we will declare or proclaim his praises. And so will you shortly in our final song praise him in singing? Will that be praise that comes from your heart or just empty, meaningless words? Will you praise God in front of your child as you share with them this afternoon something that you can thank God for? What could you praise God for when you see your work colleague tomorrow, talk on your, to your friend on the phone or chat with the neighbour next door this afternoon? could just be one sentence, not in a pushy, Bible-bashy way, but just because you're starting to bring God into everyday conversation because he's so much a part of your life, because he is so great. He is the best one, best thing in your life. What have we learnt? As I conclude, we should respect those God has placed over us. God rules. I don't and you don't. So turn from your pride. Praise him for who he is and what he's done. Learn the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learnt before it's too late for you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we... Thank you that in your kindness you gave Nebuchadnezzar this second or fourth chance to know who you are and how you wanted him to respond. Thank you for his changed heart and attitude and his humble acknowledgement that you rule over him. For any of us here listening or watching online, Lord, we pray that you would open the hearts of each one to acknowledge that you rule, you're in charge, even when we don't understand what you're doing through the human rulers in this world. We pray, God, that you'd help us to trust you. You might help us to turn our back on our pride and seek the forgiveness that Jesus, the Saviour, Lord and Judge, is willing to offer us. Help us, God, to trust him. And, Lord, we pray that when we're conscious of our reconciled relationship with you, a place in your eternal kingdom, forgiveness of sins forever, may we want to praise you from our hearts not just in this building or in our lounge rooms at home, but even before others, as Nebuchadnezzar wanted to. So, Lord, we pray that you might help us to respond in these ways for the glory of Jesus. Amen.